Pastor Xavier Reese and the pure, incorruptible, simple, and true Word of God. The Word is described in many ways in the Scriptures, you know, as water that cleanses the believer. Jesus said in John 15, 3, You are cleansed by the words I have spoken unto you. As a two-edged sword, it convicts and corrects the believer. It's a sword of conviction. As truth to sanctify the believer's life in John 17. Jesus says, Father, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Too many have learned the hard way that you just can't believe everything you read, concerning the claims of man, that is. Truth is something we all seek. Unfortunately, the simple truth is we have to look no further than the Word of God. Continuing a study in the book of Acts, chapter 20, Pastor Xavier uses the words of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian elders to draw some conclusions of the truth of Scripture and the living Word of God, the Bible. Acts, chapter 20, we're going to be looking at verse 32 in the message entitled, The Pastor Commends Men to God. The last meeting with the Ephesian elders was a concentrated review of the last three years of learning with some final details that were in the heart of Paul. If they're going to be faithful, he commends them to three things that will ensure that. The ultimate accountability as we see here. And it's found here in verse 32. He says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. First of all, Paul commends the men to God. Secondly, Paul commends these men to the word of his grace. And thirdly, Paul commends these men to a sanctified life. Brethren, he's talking to elders, pastors, bishops, which is overseers. The word commend means to place alongside, to deposit or set before. The word expresses the placing of these men accountable before God. Now notice, secondly, Paul commended the men through the word of his grace. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. The point being that the word of God is the only manual for the ministry The term, the word of grace, refers to the scriptures, as you know. The revelation of God to man, both Old Testament and New Testament. Because if you're going to start teaching the doctrine of grace, you have to go back to Genesis 8, where it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. (laughs) The more specific reference by Paul is here in the New Testament, the covenant of grace. We understand this. Grace is unmerited favor, as you know, undeserved. Grace is bestowed in and by the person of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, based on the finished work of the cross and confirmed by the resurrection. Peter tells us that all the scriptures are inspired, meaning the origin of the autographs or the manuscripts. And they're without error, as you know, in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Peter goes on to tell us the manner or how it came to be. He says, since prophecy never came... Of the will of man, all men were spoken to by God and speak for God, being carried 
along by the Holy Spirit. So these men were anointed at a particular time for a particular purpose. But they didn't speak inerrant all the time. (laughs) But when they were making these writings. Not as robots recording dictations or free to vary from God's revelation. But in instruments of God whose personalities can be detected through their writings. You can tell Peter when he's writing different from Paul. Matthew. Luke. Distinct from each other and yet accurately according to the revelation given. Resulting in three things. The teaching of the scriptures are very, very clear. First, the scriptures are infallible. They do not mislead. They are sure, reliable, and trustworthy as a guide in all matters it speaks about. Secondly, the scriptures are inerrant. They are free from mistakes in the original manuscripts or autographs. You and I can be infallible at times. I can take a test, get 100%. But if I keep taking test after test, sooner or later, I'm going to show that I'm not inerrant. I will fail. The scriptures are both infallible and inerrant. Very, very important. Now, the manuscripts we possess, as you know, are copies. We do not have any original manuscripts or, or autographs. But yet, we do have thousands of copies. And because of those thousands of copies, we can confirm what is true, what is not, what's original. The distinction or the difference that there are in some manuscripts is so minute that it never changes the sense or the text. And I think the Isaiah scroll that is found in the Qumran cave 700 years before any that we had proves that to the T. I think there's four or five letters that, and it never affects the sense at all. Perfectly. This is a high view of scripture. Plenary, verbal, inspiration. Every word breathed out from God. Inerrant, infallible. The scriptures are invaluable then for authority. If they are infallible and inerrant, then man is accountable for every word. When we understand that, we begin to be wise. Because the first thing that will grip me is fear. The fear of God. The precious value of the word is pointed out by two things. It says the word is able to build up the believer during his or her time on the earth. No greater text is this evident of than Ephesians 4, 12 through 16. The purpose of the church to perfect the saints, to do the work of ministry, to edify the body of Christ, to mature the saints to the full stature in Christ, to not be children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine so you're not deceived, speaking the truth in love, growing up in all things through Christ and unto Christ. To be effective for the efficiency of the corporate body in love. That's the great benefit. The word of God can build you up. Can make you more like Christ. Can make you wise. Can make you courageous. Can make you a light to the world that is in darkness. But also the word is able to give the believer an inheritance like no other. The inheritance is for the righteous, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Those who are born again and abiding in Christ. The inheritance is eternal, Hebrews 9, 15 tells us. 
And we're to give thanks to the Father who has qualified to be partakers of the inheritance in the saints and light, Colossians 1.12 tells us. Amazing. The person who is an elder, overseer, leader or pastor, must lay everything he thinks to be of the Lord alongside God's word. In order that he not veer from the truth, not being built up and deviating from their inheritance, as well as all Christians. I have to put things next to God's word. I have to track with God. As you have a map and you're going on a, on a trip, you have that map. It tells you how to get there. And as hard as you try to stay on it, you sometimes may miss a sign. But as soon as you're aware that you're off track, you're like, forget the map. The map's wrong. No, you realize the map is right. I've made a boo-boo. So you get back on track. That's what the word of God is for. He has to be diligent to rightly divide the word of truth in order to not be ashamed before God, but be approved by God. 2 Timothy 2.15 He has to know that the word alone can pierce asunder his soul and his spirit, which is a discerner and thought and the intents of the heart in Hebrews 4.12. You get away from the word of God. Your conscience becomes seared, defiled, And you're out of calibration. It's the word of God that calibrates your mind again. You understand? You're going down the freeway and your speedometer says 65. And the policeman pulls you over. And he says, you're going 72 miles an hour. I am not. I had my eyes on. Now, you're not lying. But see, you changed the tires on your truck. And they weren't calibrated for that size tire. So now your speedometer is not telling the truth. And when you change the size of tire in your spiritual life, you may be sincere in what you're saying, but you're sincerely wrong. Because you're not calibrated to God's word any longer. You understand? It's just that simple, ladies and gentlemen. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, 11 and 14, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We look to him. We abide in him. We obey him. We submit to him. We bring glory to him. We're to be more like him. And that's why Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The priority of the word and the protection that the word of God provides for a leader is seen in the Old Testament as the king was commanded by God to make himself a copy of the law. 
from which the Levites had, so that when he sat on the throne, he would read it every day, Deuteronomy 17, 18 and 20. And he gave reasons why he was to do that. First, to learn to fear God. The first portion of 19. To fear God. That's the foundation. Proverbs 1, 7 and 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not only the foundation, but the first step. This is where we lose it, ladies and gentlemen. We lose the fear of God. Secondly, to be careful to observe all the words. Still verse 19 there of Deuteronomy. All. Not what I like. Proverbs 16.23 will help you out there. Thirdly, to keep his heart from being lifted up over his brethren. That's a natural tendency, ladies and gentlemen. Proverbs 16.18 will help you out there. Fourthly, to keep him from turning to the right hand or the left hand from the commandment. Joshua 23.6 will help you there. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The word does that for me. And he finishes off to prolong his days in the kingdom. Verse 20. To prolong his days in the kingdom. Proverbs 8.13. The word is described in many ways in the scriptures, you know. As water that cleanses the believer. Jesus said in John 15.3, You are cleansed by the words I have spoken unto you to his disciples. Paul in Ephesians 5.26. Washing by the water of the word for the church. As a two-edged sword, it convicts and corrects the believer. It's a sword of conviction. Hebrews 4.12. As a lamp to the believer's feet to keep him from stumbling. Psalm 119, 104. It protects us. As life itself for the believer. Philippians 2.16. It's our life. As salvation sent to man. Acts 13.26. As incorruptible seed. 1 Peter 1.23. It's incorruptible. It's pure. It's God's word. As milk for the new babe who's born again. 1 Peter 2.2. 2. You bring a baby home, you don't give him steak. <laughs> give him milk. As meat for the mature believer. 1 Corinthians 3.2. In Hebrews 5.14. As truth to sanctify the believer's life. In John 17.17. 17, Jesus says, Father, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Paul commended these elders to the word of God's grace. The word of God's grace. Third and last, Paul commended these men to a sanctified life. Listen carefully. Among those who are sanctified. The concept of sanctification permeates the Bible as you know. The word sanctified, hagiazo, means to purify, consecrate, or venerate, to set apart for special use or specific use. The word appears in this form 37 times in the New Testament, and there are different forms of the word, but all have the same root, hagios, holy. The words that are translated in different forms are the word sanctify, sanctify, sanctification, saint, and holy. To give you an example, same root word. The believer has been sanctified by God. He used to be set apart for himself, the world, and sin. You remember? We live for ourselves. Now he's set apart for God and holiness. That doesn't mean we're sinless. 
That doesn't mean we're perfect, but there should be a drastic change and contrast between my life now in Christ and that which is before. The principle of sanctification runs throughout the Old Testament. God sanctified the Sabbath for man to rest and to acknowledge God. As you know, Genesis 2, 2, and 3, Exodus 20, verse 11, and many other passages. The Sabbath is all over the Old Testament. God sanctified the firstborn, both man and beast. In Exodus 13, they belonged to him. The firstborn was a high priest of the home. God told Moses to sanctify the people at Sinai prior to giving the law. In Exodus 19, set them apart. God sanctified Aaron and his sons, as you know, for the work of the ministry as priest in Exodus 28, 41. And God sanctified the temple and the vessels of sacrifice and worship. Exodus 30, and all through Exodus, that gives you the sanctification. So the principle is throughout the Old Testament. Now, the purpose of sanctification is based on the fact that God is holy. Leviticus 20, verse 26 says, God told Israel, I am the Lord, I am holy, and have severed you from other people that you should be holy. Now, he didn't pick them because they were more in number. He didn't pick them because they were better. He just picked them to make them holy. You understand? God tells the church the same thing, having the Holy Spirit. Therefore, they are to be holy even as he is holy. 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 18 and 1 Peter 1, 16. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're to come out from among them, right? In Acts 8, 28, God has set the elders apart to oversee the body of the church in holiness. He had equipped them. Revelation 1, 6, God made the believers a kingdom of priests and kings to the Father. Set apart. God has chosen to do this through His Word and the Holy Spirit. I've given you already John 17, 17. Sanctify them through Thy Word. Thy Word is truth. And of course, Romans 15, 16 and many other passages of the Holy Spirit. They work together, the Word and the Holy Spirit. And so God's will for every Christian is their sanctification in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. There's no exception. This is not just for leaders. The context that we're looking at is leaders, but this for everybody. You understand? There's no such thing as unsanctified Christian. <laughs> We're all called to sanctification, set apart. Now, Paul had modeled the counsel he gave to these men confidently, knowing he would give an account to God, not simply as he stood before them now, evident even as he wrote to the church his last letter. Let me give you 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. through 8. This is his last will and testament to the church of Ephesus. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. In the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. If you love is appearing, then you're living under the fear of God, the reverence of God. You're being obedient. You're fulfilling your part in the body. You're building the body up. You're not tearing it down. You understand the word of God. You understand the principles. Very important. 
the personal example and examples of sanctified and unsanctified lives with their consequences are recorded for us throughout the scriptures. Let me give you some. The sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, as you remember, were consumed with fire from the altar in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1 through 3. And then God told them why in verse 10. They had been schooled by God there on Mount Sinai how to offer the sacrifices. And they got a little uh, hyped up and they drank a little wine and they offered strange fire. And so God barbecued them. And to demonstrate that it wasn't some kind of mechanical failure that it just kind of blew up, their, their clothes weren't burned. Only them. God's a good shot. You understand? God will not honor strange fire or profane fire, service that is contrary to God's word. God declares that they were not to drink of intoxicating drink there in verse 10 of Leviticus 10. When they went into the tabernacle of meeting, which implies directly that they did so. Don't offer God's service under false stimuli. Make sure you know God has called you. God has enabled you. You understand? You add hurt to yourself. You add hurt to the body of Christ. God's reason was to be able to distinguish between holy and unholy, between clean and unclean. We also have the man Moses, as you know, who never entered the promised land in Numbers 20, verse 12. He failed to believe God. He did not hollow or sanctify the Lord in the eyes of the children of Israel. He misrepresented God. The children were complaining about no water. And so God told Moses, go and speak to the rock. Moses went out there and said, what must I do, you rebellious children? Strike this rock to give you the drink. And he struck it twice. He gave the impression to the people that God was man. God was not man. And he messed up the whole metaphor because that rock was Christ. And he only needs to be struck once, not twice. And so God says, Mo, come here. You're not going into the promised land. Pretty heavy, isn't it? You misrepresented me. Wow. The scriptures are clear that your sin will find you out sooner or later. Numbers 32, 23. The sin of Achan hindered the conquest of the land. Joshua 7, God had him stoned. Sin was removed. The sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were killed by the Lord. Because they abused their position, they stole from the offerings, they laid with the women in the tent. And I think of so many pastors today. 1 Samuel 2, 22-25 gives us that. David was exposed by Nathan, the prophet, in 2 Samuel 12. He thought in his position he could do anything. You cannot do anything. You're the man, David. Cost him dearly for the rest of his life. Oh, he'll be in heaven. But he had quite a time on earth. Paul commanded these elders to a sanctified life. Paul has proclaimed to these elders that they are ultimately responsible to God and not to man. Therefore, he commends them. First, to God, then to the word of His grace, and then to a sanctified life. Great counsel for us today, for me and you. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, illustrating the power of the Word of God, able to build up and sanctify the brethren. Simple truths from our continuing study of Acts chapter 20. And with just enough time before we close for today, let me mention that copies of today's study titled Reasons for Paul's Counsel are available on CD for just $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. Now once again, the title to ask for is Reasons for Paul's Counsel, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then be back for more Simple Truths right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 